Namaste friends, you're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of innovation coming from the startup scene in India, with a focus on travel, fashion, and tech. Each episode, I sit down with incredibly inspiring social entrepreneurs across the country to hear their story, learn about their initiatives, and listen to their why. Looking for the newest and coolest social impact brands in travel, fashion, and tech? Jump over to causeartist.com and join our community. Oh yeah, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, Director of Content at Cause Artist and Social Entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder and owner of Hada House, India's first zero-waste travel organization and hotel chain. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. All right, no more stalling. It's time to meet India's next generation of impact influencers. Let's get it. Are you a major cannabis enthusiast? Then, oh man, have I got the episode for you today. I connected with Sanvar Oberoi, one of seven co-founders of Bombay Hemp Company, also known as Bohico. If you don't know about Bohico, you're going to be quite the fan after this episode. They are the first hemp and cannabis company in India and are taking the industry completely by storm. From their B2B hemp textile production to B-label hemp fashion brand, to empowering farmers and working with government bodies to create policies, and like 400 other things that Sanvar dives into in today's episode. Sanvar heads finance and corporate strategy, as well as co-leads the Bohico Innovation Lab. He is a PhD research scholar in business economics and has been awarded the Forbes Asia 30 Under 30, Inc., Rajiv Circle, and Ashoka Fellowships on behalf of Bohico. No big deal, right? Check it out. Hi, this is uh, Sanwar Oberoi. I am one of the seven co-founders of Bombay Hemp Company. Uh, the brand is called Bohico. We are uh, India's first uh, and now sort of the largest uh, uh, industrial hemp and cannabis company uh, in India. And we're working across a, a wide range of sort of users of this of this awesome plant, uh, working across sort of avenues of um, uh, sort of textiles and food and, and medicine as well. But yeah, that's us. Amazing. And you're making huge waves in India. Um, so you have to tell us, you know, a little bit about your personal story and kind of how that led to the formation of Bohico. Oh, um, so that's interesting. So uh, like I mentioned, uh, we're seven co-founders, right? And so we studied undergrad uh, undergrad business together uh, in Mumbai uh, at, at HR College. And um, in fact, so the, the way we got into this was, was pretty interesting because, um, so here's the thing, right? When, when you're starting business, uh, especially in India, the whole concept of social enterprise is, is, is sort of very, very far away. You know, you're, you're taught that, you know, you're either, either there's this for-profit kind of a company where you do shareholder maximization or there's not-for-profits where, but it's not financially sustainable and sort of each year or sort of every couple of years, you got to go um, raise for funds. Um, and so um, it turned out that, and, and so sort of while we were still in undergrad, um, this whole concept of social enterprise sort of came came to us in the sense like um, there's, a, there's an organization called SIFE, um, Students in Free Enterprise, I think they call it Enactus now, um, that really sort of championed this, this cause internationally of, of, of um, sort of students to start thinking about, undergrad business students to pretty much start thinking about social enterprise and like B Corp and those kind of things. And so, um, um, they they were just rolling out in India at that point in time, and they they had come to a couple of the the, the some of the business schools, uh, undergrad business schools across the country, and so they they come on campus, and so um, they set up a small sort of uh, um, a fraternal, like a small sort of chapter in our college, and um, it was it was absolutely groundbreaking for us because um, 
to that point, we never thought that the two could ever meet. We never sort of in, in standard in standard sort of um, business modeling, you, you never think of the fact that you can actually use a for-profit vehicle to land up creating sort of large-scale um, uh, environmental and social impact. And so when that sort of, um, uh, sort of the idea came to us, it was sort of an aha moment. But the Buhiko wasn't so much was born there. In fact, the... But that was sort of the inflection point in which we all got started. We, we started getting interested in, in social enterprise in the 40s. Um, and as part of that that program, we actually, um, the seven of us, along with a, with a fair few more people, to be honest, um, we we land up uh, crafting um, uh, this uh, a, a project called Project Chirag, which was basically a rural a rural solar electrification project. Uh, because I mean, as as close as even one hour from from Bombay, um, there are places which still haven't ever seen electricity. And so um, uh, the whole concept here was how do you create a and, and it wasn't so much so as an engineering project because I mean solar uh, as a technology is, is pretty much been around uh, at least this was till a few years ago. Um, but the whole concept was about creating a financial product such that. Um, uh, uh, the, the the farmers or the villagers don't necessarily have to sort of um, invest in that huge initial upfront cost, but how do you sort of uh, uh, sort of create a financial product so that it gets subsidized in some sense, but it still has to be financially self, self-sustainable. So even if, and the whole concept is that even if us as an entity stop existing, this project should still sort of go on. And that's the whole point of social enterprise. And so, um, so, so what ended up happening was we're all city boys, uh, all of us, in the sense that all the founders. And so um, while we, you know, we all knew of sort of Indian farms and in agriculture at a distance and by reading about it and maybe seeing videos about it, none of us had actually gone in any and had sort of a personal one-on-one experience with Indian farming and Indian agriculture, right? So we... Um, but as part of this project, uh, uh, through all through undergrad, uh, we land up for spending spending all those years uh, uh, traveling and visiting to a lot of farms and villages across. In fact, not just not just near Bombay, but across in fact the entire west coast uh, of India. And in fact, my my favorite was was North Kerala. But anyway, so. Um, it turned out that um, as we start spending more time in farms and villages, and, and actually not just Davis but actually land up staying there overnight and for a couple of days. Um, uh, and you sort of really start sort of getting into the whole sort of ecosystem and, and, and getting some sense at very, very high level. Uh, as we started sort of going deeper into this, we kept basically seeing cannabis as a crop grow literally everywhere. Um, it, was, it, was, it was insane because uh, like most people at that point in time, uh, our, our thinking was that, hey, this crop pretty much used to get high and, um, and you can pretty much just like, you know, smoke it uh, and it's, it's sort of a very unilateral purpose but um it, it turned out that uh, that the crop was was growing wildly every in, well on most of the districts that, that we visited but it's more interesting that um, a lot of the local uh, villagers and farmers um, the women as well were using the crop and the parts of the crop in 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 absolutely unimaginable ways, unimaginable to us at that point in time, ways that we, like, like I said, did not expect at all because they were taking the fibers of the plant and making rope out of it, um, uh, uh, creating sort of uh, cottage industry or, or handloom sort of products, uh, uh, eating the seeds uh, for, nutri- for the nutritional value. So across the board, it was, it was a surprise to all of us that, hey, you know, there's this crop that like most people, we thought that you can pretty much used to only get high, but um, it turns out that, that there are uh, there are a huge number of multitude of sort of uh, uses of this crop, and 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 local farmers and villagers in India already are actually using it for all of those. Um, but anyways, the, the the story is it, it goes on. But point being that it was it, it turned out to be quite a, a 
sort of, it's not so much so as that we found the crop, but in a sense, I think the, the crop found us. Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Very cute. <laughs> and, and then it just, it, it felt, it felt but sort of obvious that, oh my God, uh, if, if it really can do all of these things, um, uh, it, it, you know, we, somebody has to really give it a shot. Um, so I think that's, that's how the initial sort of thinking came into being. Amazing. And, and from my understanding, you can only legally grow hemp in Uttarakhand. Is that correct? Um, no, so that's interesting. Um, it turns out that that's from the government of India. So from, from, from the central government's point of view, they're very clear. They said that uh, their point of view is uh, go ahead and, and grow. So, okay, so the central government is, is good to go. They have a green light for industrial hemp. What they do is they, they've empowered each state government to create state-specific laws and policies. So it's not that the central government of India actually has any problems with it, but they, 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 give the, they, they let the onus be on each state to create state-specific cultivation laws and so as of well as of now Uttarakhand, so Uttarakhand was definitely the first state to really come out with industrial hemp um, regulations and policies but um, and, and sort of we're very grateful that, that we got a chance to sort of work with them uh, to, to help them craft that but um, uh, going forward there's actually been a few more states who've actually come out with their policies as well and in fact um, there are a few states who are even considering and are going down the path of medical cannabis as well and so mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how different states are taking their cultivation um, and local cannabis sort of policies up ahead. Fabulous. And, and it also sounds like you guys are kind of leading the way on helping bring more awareness to, you know, the, the value that, that, you know, the, a hemp plant actually provides. And so thank you for what you do. And I'm curious, you know, cannabis is kind of this very, you know, disruptive, um, you know, plant that, you know, most, especially older generations, they, they think like, oh, that's just for those those darn kids to get high and all those things. And I'm wondering, you know, how have you guys helped kind of break the status quo around that since, you know, there is definitely a lot of stigma around it, especially in India. That's true. Um, that's very interesting because uh, so our, our company is Malo, literally everywhere uh, that the brand goes uh, under it, uh, it uh, three words, which is educate, cultivate, elevate. Uh, and so, so, so that, that sort of really simplifies uh, our entire sort of approach at things. Um, and so, um, so, as you clearly see, educate is actually a huge part of that. Um, but it turns out that um, it, it's, it's a few interesting ways. And so we're very, actually we're very, very glad that we get to work with hemp textiles. Out of all things, work with, with textiles because it's, it's very, it, and we have fun with it. In fact, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, we've gone through a lot of sort of the, the up curve on, on sort of being very serious and having co- and proper dialogues. But uh, at this point in time, um, we actually, we, we go with it and we have fun with it. So when, when we need to dialogue somebody uh, on cannabis, so say, say we're at a farmer's market or say we're at a fair and um, there's, there's, there's somebody sort of walking around, not sort of. You know, just walking around and so you go approach somebody saying hey you know in, in hindi or english or whatever they say that you know have you heard of cannabis and they're like yeah and then they make this sort of face at us that we're like <laughs> we look at them and say okay no no it's not what you're thinking the shirt that i'm wearing is actually from the same plant and it blows their mind because again like us and most people i mean like us before Burrico, most people again think of cannabis only as, as sort of a narcotic uh, uh recreational sort of uh, or maybe medical they may have heard of it, but that, that's the most that they know and so um when you when you actually shock so we use shock and awe in a very very fun way we really shock and awe them and we, we we're very unabashed like that and unapologetic so um so so, so we actually sometimes in you know, when you go to farmer's market we actually call our clothes bhang ke kapde um which which is which is absurd because to most people when they hear 
hear bhang, uh, they, they again associate with a drink, we get intoxication and those kind of things. Mm. And when they hear that, oh, you're using one word which they associate with getting high with one word which is, a, uh, and you're putting those two together, it sort of really sort of starts breaking down uh, um, sort of a, a lot of their, a lot of their preconceived notions. And, um, but yeah, textile should be one of the most instrumental tools that we've had all this while and continues to be the ways to bring barriers on that context because um, when when you have people wear hemp clothes and, and there's so many of the people there are members of parliament who wear hemp kurtas to parliament now we're very glad about that we have a lot of bureaucrats across different state and government ministries and bodies who wear hemp clothes aside from of course Bollywood and, 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 and sort of just sort of um, the eco-conscious uh, so there's, there's a wide segment of sort of different uh, sort of target audiences who wear hemp clothes now so um, as sort of that adorning uh, a hemp textile really sort of embodies and, and emphasizes that, hey, yes, this crop actually has a whole set of different uses um, and, and they can actually be amazingly used. And so I think that um, I'm going to finish this sort of mini monologue by, by stating actually very interesting sort of um, uh, on this context, actually very interesting. Sorry. So there's, there's, there's one specific um, sort of senior bureaucrat that we work with and he's, 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 he's helped, a, he's played a very pivotal role for us. Uh, he's involved with our narcotics. And so he, um, so each time you have a new batch of, of um, uh, government officers who join basically the government after their tests and you know selection process. Um, and then they go through this intense training within the government sort of institutes and, 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 uh, and training centers. And so, he's he he ends up sort of going there he's a very senior bureaucrat and so he goes there for sort of uh, specific lectures and try to train these these new set of like hundreds and thousands of new officers are going to now play very sort of critical roles in different government ministries and bodies and so what he does is and and to, and this is in context of narcotics and he's really sort of working and talking with narcotic officers and things right. like that so um, he each time he does this, he walks into that his first lecture of that week wearing a hemp shirt, and then he literally asks people each. I mean, we've seen this happen in person, and he asks people, you know, what's cannabis? And most narcotic officers or most sort of government officers sort of say the standard stuff, um, you know, all the stuff that we spoke about. And and he says, no, 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 no. But the shirt that I'm wearing is also cannabis. And then it, it, it's through that sort of very tangible product in front of you that sort of really starts breaking down. Um, people's again like i said preconceived notions and then they start thinking oh it turns out that there's all of these multi-uses of this crop and and we should maybe start looking at it a bit differently um I, I, sorry one last thing um by the way it turns out that ancient indian medicine uh ayurveda but not even hindu medicine so even even islamic ancient medicine like unani and siddha etc so um it turns out um ancient indian medicine actually values cannabis tremendously they, it it, it it, it has, well, I think two, 291 um, different sort of uh, formulations and, and, and products that you can create with cannabis. Uh, where it, so it was very, very holy and very, uh, very sort of um, useful in, in ancient Indian medicine. And so some of that still carries forward today. So some of the interactions that we've had with a lot of sort of people um, in the one-on-ones that we do a lot of sort of farmers markets and trade fairs, um, a lot of people sort of tell us that, oh yeah, you know, cannabis and hemp, we've, we've heard, uh, we know that in ancient Indian sort of texts um, it is quietly, quite widely mentioned. So, um, yeah, it, it turns out that the society, interestingly, is actually quite open to, um, to having their myths uh, broken down. Um, yeah. Yeah. You've said so many beautiful things right there. And, and it's interesting to have these high level, you know, individuals representing, you know, what hemp, you know, the future of hemp and what it could be, um, you know, to people who might, you know, automatically have this, this preconception of, of what cannabis is and it only has this one purpose. So that's, that's really beautiful to hear. 
And, and I'm also wondering, for our audience that doesn't really understand the history of bong, would you be able to kind of go into a little bit of that explaining kind of, uh, you know, how, because, you know, I feel like maybe I don't even fully understand the difference between uh, cannabis and bong. Would you be able to just kind of briefly go into that? Yes, it's, it's actually very simple. So here's the thing, right? Um, and in each of these words, so I'll just break down what hemp versus cannabis versus bong from a terminology point of view is. Um, uh, first of all, the whole, in all of these contexts, the crop, that the, the plant, the botanical name of the plant that we're really talking about is cannabis. So even hemp is just, is, 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 is a more sort of um, usage word, but ultimately we're still talking about the same plant. Uh, but where, where the differences start coming is in the different parts of the plant that you use. And so usually when people say hemp, what they really mean by that is it's a low narcotic version of cannabis. So THC, THC is the thing that gets sort of one high. It's, it's a molecule that sort of the, the, the plant sort of creates. Um, and, and THC is the thing that gets people high. The thing is THC, it's produced in the plant only in its flower uh, in, uh, uh, or, or what the, what's called the bud uh, or the flower um, and in the leaves. But outside, the, outside of the leaves and the flower, uh, the rest of the plant doesn't have any THC in it. And so um, when, so the word hemp is used that when, when basically anybody wants to use cannabis as a plant for its non uh, non-therapeutic uh, or non-sort of intoxicating purposes um, and for more industrial purposes, well, uh, that's, that, that's when the word hemp comes in. So hemp is when, is, is, <clears throat> is when cannabis as a plant is used for its industrial purposes. So textiles, food, cosmetics, um, all of the things that don't have any sort of psychoactive effect uh, is when sort of the word hemp is used. Um, now, uh, and so, and of course, cannabis is sort of a general term because that 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 just explains sort of the plant. Bhang is is a very Indian uh, focused term only. You would not actually find this uh, is sort of in in North America or in Europe. Um, but so bhang is actually. Uh, it's interesting. So 6,000 years ago when sort of cannabis, at least it's the, the oldest sort of dated use of cannabis in ancient Indian uh, texts. Um, back in the day, part of the plant that was used for its, its intoxicating effect was the leaves of the plant. So bhang is actually the leaves of the cannabis plant, not the bud. And it's interesting because we're one of the only cultures in the world where there is a historic reference to using cannabis leaves. Even today uh, in modern day sort of Canada and California and Colorado, etc. Um, it's really the flower or the bud of the plant that's used to sort of, you know, roll it up and smoke and get high. Um, because the buds are really where the cannabinoids are there in very large, in sense THC is there in very large proportion. But um, as for ancient Indian medicine uh, or ancient Indian use, uh, cannabis leaves were considered holy. Uh, and so even in India today, um, the rules regarding cannabis flower uh, are different than the rules regarding cannabis. In fact, cannabis leaves have been given an exception to um, some of the narcotic rules because of their tremendous religious, spiritual sort of usage. So bhang is basically cannabis this really rolled up into this ball um, that is pretty much available across a few states of India. Um, and it turns out that that's the base of using cannabis for its more ancient uh, purposes. Amazing. Okay. So, and so it's more of, it comes more from like this spiritual side with like the bong uses, usage uh, in regards to everything else. Like for example, I'm in Vrindavan right now and oh. it's so openly consumed here that it's almost shocking sometimes to go back and forth from different places and then, you know, just have these, these different very, you know, religious and spiritual cultures uh, that are, you know, heavily using bong um, and 
Uh, it's just been very interesting to kind of, uh, thank you for kind of diving into that more because I've always kind of been a little bit confused about, you know, why is there so much stigma around, you know, the idea of, of smoking weed when we say it like that, but then when we refer to bong, it seems to be a lot more socially acceptable. Um, and I'm curious when it comes to, I know you've had some fun with your marketing in the past and, you know, what are some of the, the younger audiences kind of, you know, how are they responding to, you know, the, uh, the, the types of uh, education and research and impact that you're doing and how have you been, um, you know, playing with it, with our, you know, young demographics mindset to kind of engage them more in learning about how much diversity there is when it comes to the actual cannabis plant. That's, that's, a, that's a good question, to be honest. Uh, uh, the, the way we've gone about doing that is we'll end up doing a lot of in-person uh, conversations. So we try to get out there as much as possible. And that, that could be a whole bunch of different things. It could be, like I said, farmer's markets for trade fairs, but it could also mean like college festivals and and and, and sort of um, as much sort of pop-ups and, and things of like that so that we can do. Um, and we actually do that quite often. There's, I, I think the, the, there's always at least one a week through the year, and so that, that that's quite a few sort of. In, 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 when we 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 definitely make it a point to so each time any sort of college or university sort of invites us, we always sort of say yes, no matter how sort of far it is, because we find it sort of very imperative on us to to go and and engage with sort of the next set of audiences actually get their reactions, and always get sort of a very uh, very wide set of, sort of reactions from from them, because of course, so first of all, the cannabis books just don't stop, uh, and which is awesome, right? Because I mean, we might as well have. To not take ourselves too seriously and, and i'm telling you and creativity is great because it's been seven years that we've been running this company now and and the cannabis jokes literally uh, they're still fresh ones uh, you know we 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 still don't run out of them uh, people who crack jokes with us and then we're on the receiving end of them and we we still sometimes some of them so here's the one we get very often so normally when we're presenting cannabis or we're presenting and we the hemp is awesome sort of plant and then you can you, can, you know you can create textiles from it you can create bioplastic paper uh, billing materials uh, and and we when we talk a little bit more on the billing materials side and we say that you know there are breweries and 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 a lot of um hotels in france and australia who or in south africa as well i think it's one time who built who built a million of hempcrete which is hemp uh, fibers used in concrete um and it's a really good insulation material on and, and low cost anyway so um when we say all of that and then and then, and then usually so, so, the, so at least a hundred times i've heard this where so somebody sort of pops their hand up very innocently and asks that oh but you know if the house that would sort of uh, burns down um will people basically get high inside uh and like pretty much be okay with the house burning down at that point in time so we we get that a lot and um but but the point is exactly this, right? I think that we try our best to use as much of fun and humor and in uh, uh, a very strong visual and design language to try to communicate uh, and uh, across the board. And by the way, when I when I say this, I, I want I want to sort of really uh, you know take a sidebar and, and mention that um, we take our, our our job and our role very seriously in this education piece. And and by the way, it's just because I'm speaking English and 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 and. And English again with this kind of a, 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 a pronunciation that doesn't sort of mean that my thinking or our plans and our strategies are just for sort of people like me. Um, in fact, quite not. Uh, in fact, not at all. In fact, for that matter, because people like I mean, 
people are well traveled, etc., are, are actually pretty well exposed uh, to cannabis. In fact, both YouTube and, and Netflix have have a plethora of cannabis-related content, and so so they're well informed. In fact, a lot of our effort, increasingly, um, over the last I'd say at least three years, our focus has been on um, vernacular uh, communications, uh, and across the board, it's not just using the same design language and converting it, but in fact, going from from creating design language uh, branding and across the board, completely from scratch for how and what would appeal um, and what would work uh, better for, uh, for, 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 for sort of the, the vernacular base. Unfortunately, our products haven't crossed the non-Hindi medium yet. So we're just in English and Hindi today. Um, but, but as we get more sort of uh, the next three years and the next era of the company, uh, we intend to actually get even more specific into even more sort of localized languages um, because uh, uh, that's sort of a very, very key key sort of state for us to sort of go through um, rather than sort of keeping it very restricted to a very sort of similar target, target, target audience that ultimately is really represents only what, you know, at most four to 5% of India, uh, but really sort of 95% of India is really out there. Uh, and, and sort of, we, we, we've, we've initiated sort of the, the vernacular communication with them so far using purely digital means. Um, but the intent now is to increasingly um, uh, start picking our fairs and exhibitions a lot more sort of keenly and, Earlier, we were tremendously biased towards tier one cities and, and you know, and again, and, and, and I see why that would be the case to begin with. But as sort of our base has been established fairly well across these sort of tier one cities, um, we're very excited this year. I, I think we started doing this from last year that we started going to a lot more tier two and tier three cities as well. Um, and and it, just I cannot explain to you the kind of reception that we've got there because you know when you when you go into sort of a tier two city of Madhya Pradesh or Bihar, uh, we got we got. And when you're really sort of in person on the ground, on the floor, sort of having those one-on-one conversations through three days of like at least going through at least what a hundred people um, and, the, and the one-on-one conversations, it's bit by bit, but, but the kind of feedback and the real time sort of iterative feedback that you get um, is, is amazing because um, it, it really brings out uh, a lot of the kind of uh, uh, questions and, and, and mindsets that people are operating with today. And so that gives us, gives us a plethora of, of knowledge and information on how, we, what, we need to factor in when we're sort of coming, going to come out here in a more rollout, scaled up sort of uh, strategy. But yeah, I'm, again, I'm going to pause. No, that's beautiful. It's it's beautiful to hear that you know people are, are receptive to to wanting to you know wanting to listen to what you have to say and, and learning more. And I think that's also because I mean you guys make you guys make it approachable and accessible for uh, you know the language that you use is is easy to absorb. Like it's 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 easy to understand kind of the awareness and, and the services and products that you're offering and why. And um, that being said, I'd love for you to go a little bit more into, you know, the, the many <laughs> different things that you're doing um, that you're, that you're constantly out there bringing awareness to. Um, because from my understanding, there's this whole aspect of like rural development and empowering farmers. And then, you know, everything from research to different services and products you offer, you have uh, like a whole collection of clothing. Um, can you kind of just go through each part of this and then also go more into the innovation lab that you're running as well? Got it. Okay. Um, so the, I think the best way to sort of break down Bohico is into sort of different parts of the value chain. And so for, for sort of people to understand this this way, right? Um, it's basically, if you just follow any plant across its journey, um, it's basically, we, we're, we're broken up across each of those areas. Um, so, so the reality is that, uh, is that for somebody like us, uh, having been sort of the first players in the space, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, ideally we would not we would have liked not to get uh, sort of deep into so many areas simultaneously but the reality is that um, uh, we didn't have a choice uh, uh, when you're really trying to sort of develop a, a bring a a crop that exists purely in the wild and so here's the challenge in front of you right okay now look at it from this perspective Here's a crop that is native. It's native to India. It grows wildly across so many Indian districts. Um, it's it's tremendously useful. All of that exists, and there's a tremendous global market and global economy from it, even if not from a domestic point of view. All of these factors are perfectly in place. Now, the job at hand, really, for an enterprise, is to how do you create? A, how do you go from a crop that grows only in the wild and in the forest in a very, in literally the most unorganized fashion, into <laughs> scaled industry just the way sort of all the other sort of agriculture based industries are in fact not not exactly just the way they are but in fact hyperleap them in terms of their model as well right because um today's for example sugarcane or sugar production is a is a i mean not to uh, attract sort of you know protests at my door uh, and have booths at my door but um it's not necessarily the most uh, equitable um uh, supply chain uh, to be honest to put it to you that way right so in a sense the, the sugar supply chain from the time the crop is cultivated sugar cane is cultivated to the time an end product uh, which could be even refined sugar is made um the the distribution of income and the distribution of wealth is 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 abysmally uh, uh, unequal uh, and 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 unequitable so um it's so, so 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 it's not just it's not just the the effort to bring a crop from sort of the fringes into the mainstream but also while you're bringing it into the mainstream and you have we have the advantage of crafting a new model from scratch what how should you look at it from a future point of view rather than sort of basing it on models that have existed for existing crops today which are tremendously exploitative in nature which sort of is leading to farmer suicide and that's um that's one of the largest reasons why we got into this in the first place which is how do we how do people who don't come from an agricultural background get into an agricultural industry um while sort of most people around us are getting into saas and getting into sort of okay. you know science and algorithms and things of that sort which fascinate me tremendously as well on a personal note but um but how do you have how do you have a bunch of people from the city basically go backwards into sort of an agricultural industry uh, and try to sort of cause some sort of uh, an intervention in it and so that's where i'm just going to explain so now with that kind of a context i think it, it helps sort of uh, now when i sort of explain of each of the pieces that we're doing it actually helps explain um, i think i think people will understand why we're doing each of the pieces we're doing so um it actually starts first by seeds itself the thing is like i said even though india has a lot of wild cannabis that just grows um all of that is literally wild uh, uh it's like back in the day um rice or or a lot of these you know fruits and vegetables that we eat today uh, are very different by the way than what they grew in original form in a sense right uh, in the wild again um bananas in the wild look nothing like the bananas that that sort of are industrially produced for consumption and that basically applies for all crops uh, and even for example with rice there's there's whole con- there's basmati rice and so um the, the reason why the word basmati came into being was i mean sort of the, how basmati rice came into being was um somebody actually i mean not just somebody it is actually a whole bunch of people <laughs> who basically worked together to sort of take this take um take the crop from again from the wild but then you you have to study it and and prepare it and sanitize it so not genetically modify it i'm i'm not i'm not speaking about that but basically get it to a stage where um when you grow 100 acres of this crop it should give you a standard yield it should give you my the grain for example in rice you should get a grain of exactly these many centimeters more, you know you can have 10 20% up and down but more or less it all comes out in a fairly standard way then you pretty much have standardization of agricultural uh, crops and so the world has seen that happen with crops 
like rice and maize and wheat, etc. since about many hundreds of years ago. The thing is, hemp and cannabis didn't really go through that phase at all. And so it continued to be one of the most sort of laggard crops, high economic value, but hasn't, has been significantly understudied. Um, not just in, not just not just in India actually this is globally um, when we got when we got started out our first our first conversation with the government was not hey you know we want to go do medical cannabis or we want to do recreational or even we want to do textiles for that matter our first conversation with the government was that hey government of India uh, I mean you first of all thank you've been independent for sixty years but in <laughs> all of the years that you've been in all the years that you've been independent. Um, you have a we as a country. I mean, every India, we have one of the world's most uh, gorgeous biodiversities of cannabis plants. And what I'm what I'm what I mean by that is, all cannabis is not necessarily the same. And so, any cannabis enthusiast would also know that you know there are these different strains. Um, and sort of uh, cannabis growing in say Uttarakhand is different from cannabis that grows in Kerala versus northeast versus central, etc. So, um, the, the, you know, as, as with any crop like mangoes, you have many versions of mangoes as well. And so cannabis has that as well. The thing is, um, so we told the government of India, you've been in pen for so long, but you've never ever instituted any research or, or, or documentation or databasing any of this wild cannabis. So if you want to really see a very large industry get built in India, even down the road, and even, even if you want to consider it or have the option to consider it, you cannot build a large domestic industry from nothing. You need to first go and you need to, in this context, actually, if you don't mind me, we do it for you, where we actually go to the wild into the forest and literally do these overnight treks and camps and things of that sort, but go as deep into the wild and wilderness as possible to collect, to first of all, find, document, database, collect, um, identify each of these wild subtypes of cannabis that grow naturally across India so that we create a database um, of, of Indian biodiversity of cannabis. Um, it's very, very, very important because of, I mean, to protect sort of biodiversity um, going forward. Um, that's how we actually got started. And so today, what we have is we have one dedicated team. In fact, we have a not-for-profit uh, that actually oversees this because biodiversity should not even be in the hands of a for-profit company. Um, mm-hmm. But in that's a sense powerful that, statement right there. I hope, I hope all these large organizations are listening to that. <laughs> you know, and we have, we have people sometimes who, who call us the Monsanto of cannabis who, 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 who we say that they, we're, we're, clearly we're, we're not going down that path. But anyway, so um, <laughs> we... So um, it's uh, um, so it starts with biodiversity. It starts with biodiversity. So we we instituted um, three breeding projects. We approached the government of India, saying, uh, "Government of India, are you okay with us a databasing this?" So we actually built this thing called the Cannabis Seed Bank of India. So it's a seed bank of only cannabis uh, crops, uh, but it's basically a unique identifier for each each unique strain. Because even from one village to another village, the cannabis could be similar, but it could still be distinctly different from a gene pool point of Point of view, and you have to maintain these gene lines to to so sort of down the road to be able to sort of have interbreeding and, and to be able to create whatever you want to create, but to maintain purity of these gene pools. Anyway, so um, we uh, started by building this, this cannabis seed bank. We started doing breeding projects. So basically, you take all of these seeds that you've collected and start in, and first study them to even know what the difference is. That what ultimately what is the difference in the cannabis of Kashmir versus what's the difference in cannabis of Manipur and so on and so forth. So it, it, it was a it was those are the first set of studies that we did, um, and then. The, the next stage from that was actually to do breeding. And so breeding is that you take, you take, okay, if I want to get, if, for example, if I want to get, um, if I want to ultimately grow a very good quality uh, hemp 
cannabis, but for industrial use. So hemp uh, crop in Maharashtra uh, um, to create textiles. So what I need for that is I need to take I need to take a couple of mothers and fathers. Basically, I need to take some cannabis crops um, that are in the naturally naturally found to be very good for their fiber strength, and I need to take some plants that are very good to grow in a more tropical climate condition and are very good to grow in low water, um, because again, each of them have you know some of them have better strengths and some have weaknesses, and so you take the different strengths you take different uh, seeds that have different strengths and you basically interbreed them. And basically what you get from them is basically kids that have sort of, that exhibit the parental traits. I mean, I, I really don't want to go too much into the science, but it's a, it's standard sort of genetics. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I love, I love the analogies you're using. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so you, you, I mean, you, you, you choose your parents, uh, you basically breed <laughs> You, you have, uh, you, you get kids from them. Uh, I mean, little baby cannabis plants. And then, uh, and then you, again, and you, you can repeat the process. I, in fact, uh, there's, there's actually an equation for this, but you're basically supposed to repeat the process for at least, I think, six times. And then finally, uh, uh, at the end of those, those number of generations that you, that you do this breeding, you basically land up getting a very, very, and this is, this is the more natural way of doing it. This is not genetically modifying it, but basically you get your final varieties. You get, you get a version of this plant that, that has exhibited very, very good fiber strength while still being tremendously uh, uh, um, sort of uh, well suited for the agroclimatic condition that you want to grow it for. And so finally, then you have your, your final sort of golden goose in that sense. And that's the crop that you then take and then actually scale up and grow hundred acres of that version of the plant. But the point is, this may sound very fundamental and basic, but in reality, when we started out the company sort of seven years ago, um, it, it, we had none of this. We, in fact, at that point in time, we didn't even know whether we were legally allowed to set up a company with hemp in the name of the company. And so from, from, from sort of those initial days, uh, uh, we, we had no option but to sort of go down these pathways of actually creating our own seeds so that then, so then we can take our own seeds and actually cultivate them at large scale. But anyway, so I, I've gone too deep into that seed a- avenue, but, but I want to sort of lay on how critical it is when you're, when you're looking at a crop that doesn't exist in a mainstream at all and you want to kind of take it to mainstream, you have to go all the way back to sort of seed yeah. sciences and then go all the way up. Ultimately, I want to sell amazing products to end consumers in India, but um, I need to first start with my seeds. And so anyway, so we, we spent some time doing that. Um, I, sh- I should pause. I know I'm not going to the other avenues, but this was a fairly long sort of monologue. I've already. No, no, this is great. And honestly, I, I think like there, there's so much, um, there, there's so many missing links in, in regards to like people really understanding, uh, you know, how cannabis even works in this country and understanding and getting to hear kind of the root stories, uh, pun intended here from you, I think is, is really powerful for the, for our audience. And, um, and, and so this seed bank, I'm just curious about this. This is something that you guys have, have done completely on your own. Correct. Um, no, I, I, your credit has to, uh, should be given where sort of it's due. Um, again, so here's the here's another sort of sidebar. I keep got. I don't want to go into any tangents. <laughs> it's okay. But um, oh my God, I cannot tell you how much we're in love with the government of India, and that's so weird for startups to say that, and especially somebody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> most people who think that because I'm, I'm, you know, we're working in a highly regulated industry like cannabis, mm-hmm. we're always like, oh my God, government sort of not giving us sort of our uh, our space and things of that sort. It's really, really not true. I cannot, I literally cannot explain in more words and more sort of my tone cannot be any more sort of uh, showing of that, that uh, government of India and, and, and state governments, so state government of Uttarakhand, state government of Himachal Pradesh, state governments have been 
absolutely amazing, uh, especially in this regard. That's that's what I'm referring to them in in, in, the, in this answer, which is um, the the you have we've we've come across basically. We so here's the thing: we couldn't have built the seed bank by ourselves. We've we've needed the the help and support of a lot of different government agencies because ultimately this was a tremendously uh, complex exercise of getting different government bodies and agencies involved. Because when you're going deep into forest land and protected forest, so you can. You, you know, it's not like tourists or just even, even Indian citizens just can't stroll into sort of national forests of this sort and also sort of given the wildlife and things of that sort. We've needed to sort of, um, uh, over the years, we've worked very, very closely with forest officials. So uh, there's actually forest officers are designated uh, like Indian, sort of the IAS officers, IRS officers, and so they're forest officers. And so we've worked with a lot of forest, forest officers across the north and the northeast of India, who sort of, um, even though it's not necessarily in their job description to help help young people find cannabis strains, uh, or even like wild strains of any crop, um, uh, they've actually gone way out of the way, because again, they understand it, and they embody it, and they understand what cannabis is all about. In fact, I'm telling you, um, more cannabis knowledge and wisdom on hemp and cannabis exists in the villages of India than in, in the cities. In fact, in cities, people are thinking that it's only sort of uh, Bob Marley and sort of smoking and getting high. In villages, and a lot of people who sort of come from those kind of backgrounds actually have a much more wholesome perspective on hemp and cannabis. Anyway, so a lot of these forest officers have actually helped us um, build that seed bank. And I also want to mention one very clear thing. This seed bank isn't a, isn't a property of, in, of, of our company. And, it, and it's not for anybody who might be sort of misconstruing that and it shouldn't be as, as well. And so very fortunately, um, the government of India actually has a very, very mature biodiversity law. And it's actually very interesting here where you say that, um, and the biodiversity law actually literally says this. It says that if you go find a wild plant of anything, you could, you could find a wild cucumber for anything for that matter. And so say you find a very a miraculous wild uh, crop and you want to you sort of commercialize it. The rule of Indian bio- biodiversity law is that in, in whatever's the closest village to the spot of you having found that wild biodiversity crop, uh, um, the, you, there's a royalty model that that village has to, in perpetuity, get a certain percentage of any money and any revenue created by right. using that crop. And and the logic here is that again, um, economic wealth should be should be should be distributed uh, in a more equitable manner to to villages who have who may have preserved some of these wild strains and crops in their own manner uh, without anybody having asked them to. But the very fact that they preserved these sort of ancient, untouched uh, um, sort of versions of any crop um, should be sort of uh, credited. And so, um, uh, but yeah, so, so the biodiversity, in, in fact, is of, the, is of the government of India and of the people of India. Uh, we've just sort of databased it and we use that as the initial base to sort of uh, handpick, uh, well, cherry pick, our, uh, which, which, which ones to sort of use to interbreed and create your final varieties from there. Okay. Whew. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm trying to absorb all this information. I feel like I'm, I'm taking like a a speed course on cannabis, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, I, 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 so here's the thing. The, the, the problem is as, as entrepreneurs, right? Like, there's very few times you actually land up, land up having somebody actually quizzing you or asking things that you spent, what, seven years working on. Mm-hmm. And so when anybody sort of opens this Pandora's box, it just all comes out of tsunami. I'll try to maintain a bit more restraint and sort of no. for the part of no, it's amazing. Like since I've met you, I can tell just how passionate you are about what you do. And 
you're like a walking encyclopedia for all things cannabis. And um, it, it's, and honestly, I think it's actually hilarious to hear, you know, a young uh, entrepreneur talk about how much he loves the government of India, because I don't think that's ever come out of the mouth of a young person in India. Um, so, no, it, it's beautiful to hear that there, there's so much support for what you're doing, because there's also uh, some serious long-term value in regards to economic development, social development, uh, environmental development, and um, and I, I actually had no idea that you know the the whole aspect of the research that you're doing in regards to cannabis and biodiversity in India. I, I had no idea that was run by a nonprofit entity under Bohico, and I think that's a, a really beautiful and sustainable way to approach that. Um, and um, I'm. It, it's it's I mean it, it's kind of funny for someone to ask you for the Monsanto of cannabis, and it's it's it probably feels really great to be like no. <laughs> so um, this this is really great. I, I'm still trying to absorb everything, and I feel like our audience is going to be like, whoa, they have to listen to this a few times to get everything that you're saying. Um, but don't apologize ever for that. I think it's it's so beautiful to have you as a resource and, and the whole Bolico team to really help lead this revolution in, in making cannabis more mainstream because especially hempcrete has always been something that's really interested me, um, especially because I live in uh, like a third tier, third tier city in Rajasthan and, you know, have seen how, you know, people have gone from these, you know, very natural, traditional ways of building to, you know, just using uh, brick and concrete, which, you know, doesn't work in hot climates. <laughs> um, I think it's ridiculous that people decided that they wanted to use this very modern way of building homes when it, it, it's really not sustainable in, re in regards to, you know, long-term environmentally, but also uh, for, you know, staying cool in the, in, in the summer and staying warm in the winter. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what else comes out of, um, you know, the research and, and, and what you're able to bring to the market in terms of hempcrete. Um, and, and this brings me back to uh, what I wanted to make sure our audience uh, heard from you was, you know, kind of identifying uh, the different products and services that you do offer just kind of on a brief uh, high level so that I'm, I'm not holding, holding your time. I, I could keep you here for like three hours talking about this. There's so much to learn from you. Um, but if you could kind of just highlight briefly, you know, Every aspect, you know, you can talk about kind of that narrative of of the plant work because because it is everything from uh, your. It's basically it, hemp is like a zero waste plant, which is so beautiful or cannabis, um, because it, it seems like there's something that you can do with each part of it, and it sounds like you guys are really taking advantage of that. So, would you mind highlighting that a little bit more? Got it. Okay. So, um, and it's true. It it, it is. Uh, in fact, that that ends up being quite a bit of a challenge for for uh, partially as well. Because um, the thing is that because you can you can take all the parts of the plant and make sort of things from it, uh, it, it ends up being quite a bit of a conundrum on what to take where and how deep and to what extent. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll get into that sort of maybe. But um, as, as a company, what we, what we really do is we are deep into hemp textiles. Uh, so with hemp, of course, you can do many things. Like I said, uh, basically the fibers can become... Um, so I'll just highlight first what you can do with hemp and then what we pick. But basically from the fibers, um, you can you can create fibers of stem. You can create either paper or billing material or uh, which could be hempcrete or the, 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 the wood, wood boards, um, uh, bioplastic, uh, 
nanocarbons uh, or, or textiles. These are broadly the main avenues that that um, that the fibers and stems are used for. The seeds are used to create two things, which is food and cosmetics. Basically, the hemp seed oil is a great, great sort of both as a as a digesting um, and consumption oil as well as a, a topical oil. And so, food and cosmetics uh, you can make from it. Um, the leaves are used potentially to make ancient medicine, and the flower is used to make medicine uh, or recreational, uh, depending on sort of which industry. I mean, which area we're talking about. So, broadly, those are different uses of plant. Um, as our company uh, today, um, we have been traditionally involved in hemp textiles to begin with. And so, in fact, in the textile space, we have, in the way we look at it, we have actually three mini startups inside the, our textile team. Uh, in fact, so there's three separate teams altogether, but inside a textile vertical. Um, we, and it's, it actually sounds a bit sort of uh, computer sort of say it this way, but basically, we, um, uh, we service across the value chain. So um, we have a team called Boico Textiles that sells fibers and yarns to large textile companies. So if you're if you're Arvind Mills or you're Raymond or you know you're you're one of these large textile mills who has a lot of interest from their end consumers, more likely than not internationally, uh, who want to sort of see hemp, or even if you even if you don't have that interest, but you just want to come out with more sustainable products uh, um, and hemp is literally one of the most sustainable textiles um, uh, but, but you don't have the machinery in place you have everything in in place but you don't have the hemp specific expertise that's where we come in and we help sort of large industry players adopt hemp as a material into their into their existing product offerings by us supplying them either hemp fibers because some of these companies also have yarn spinning units and so we give them hemp fibers and then they take it from there onwards uh, or sometimes when we give them hemp yarns and then they make from there, they make fabric onwards. And so that's one part of the value chain where we service, where we sell fibers and yarns. That's the Boico Textiles team. Then there's Hemp Fabric Lab. That's actually the little mini team that I lead uh, outside of finance. But um, so Hemp Fabric Lab, uh, okay, in the world of democrat democratization of brands, there's a lot of more indie brands coming up across the world. And a lot of product designers are starting to now not work for Cesara and H&M, but instead go create their own indie label across the world. And you know, Instagram sort of has helped a lot on that front. Um, but basically, as, as more brands are coming out in the world, um, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, though, because the entire textile uh, and the garmenting supply chains across the world are actually better built out to service large orders and absolutely not well built to serve small and medium-sized orders at all. And so somebody wants one meter or 10 meters or a hundred meters, um, it's very, very hard for them to do that. But if you want, if you want a thousand meters, that's actually very doable for sort of large textile companies. And so we saw the gap in the market there. And so we come there in the middle where we offer basically as hemp fabric lab, we offer hemp fabrics, uh, more than what I think 200 of them um, in uh, and, and blends with, all, with cotton and live cell and, and recycled polyester, etc. So we, we, we're basically a small little like uh, a creative uh, house as Hemp Fabric Lab. Um, uh, a bunch of scientists, in fact, who just like playing around with different materials um, who offer basically hemp fabrics to a lot of indie designers uh, internationally uh, at, at tremendously low cost. Uh, uh, but in, but we're, we're purposefully built for low MOQ uh, because we found that there's a tremendous gap in the market to service low MOQ orders. And so we are built backwards for low MOQ. In fact, if like somebody places probably an order of say 500 meters and above, we usually tell them, hey, you know, we're not really well built out for you. But here's a bunch of mills who can actually service your order. So please, you know, feel free to go to them. But we're better built out for small, you know, small scale orders. So anyway, that's Hemp Fabric Lab. And the third textile sort of uh, offering is B Label, which is our N B2C uh, apparel and accessories brand. And so we sell um, both men and women uh, um, hemp apparel uh, hemp accessories we have home products that we recently got into um, but so, so they laptop sleeves and cushion covers and, and, and table mats uh, curtains anyway, and then there's of course clothes um, um, 
So th those are the three products that we, we the three areas that we're involved in across the textile supply chain. Each of them create the create competition for the next two in a sense. Uh, but but I mean, ultimately, as long as hemp wins, uh, we, we, we're, 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 we're happy. Um, that's what we've been spending the most time on as a company. But as sort of regulations in India have been evolving on the product side of things, um, one is to get regulations evolve on, on what I said earlier, right, which is science, I mean, cultivation and seed and growing the crop and that kind of stuff. But the other is in terms of end products. And so as regulations have evolved more recently, in fact, in February of this year, we launched Hemp Foods, which is basically from the seeds, we create um, hemp hearts, which is hemp seeds, de-shelled de hemp. Uh, we have hemp protein, which is one of the most, it's literally the best hemp protein, I mean, the best protein that you can buy. Um, if you don't want to uh, sort of weigh and, and those, those kind of things. Um, and so uh, we have hemp proteins, we have hemp hearts, which is de-shelled de hemp seeds. And the, our winner product, in fact, is hemp seed oil, which is this really awesome sort of um, uh, omega-3, 6, and 9 uh, oil that's really good for topical applications as well as sort of uh, um, uh, consumption. And we sell that as foods to end consumers in India as well as uh, uh, sort of to restaurants and, and hotels. Uh, but also it turns out that the same hemp seed oil is um, a good carrier oil for so we have some cosmetic companies who buy, so we don't have our own cosmetic products as, as our company, but we have a lot of cosmetic companies who buy hemp seed oil in bulk from us. And then they use that hemp seed oil as a carrier oil to create their cosmetic products. So that's, mm -hmm. that's our, um, so that's pretty much the of our current products that we're involved in. Basically that's three, three small businesses in the, in the, in the textile space and one small business in the food space. And that's where we're at today. Um, there, there are a couple of things in the works, which is somewhere around in the area, largely of medical cannabis. Um, regulations have been evolving in India as well. Um, a lot of it goes understated in the media and maybe sort of good, maybe for now that if that's the case, but anyway, so, um, uh, some of the areas of medical cannabis are opening up and so we're, we're getting into some of those avenues as well. And uh, yeah, and one of the last things, the, the only moonshot that we've been working on is uh, nano, nanocarbons, uh, which is basically to create really awesome uh, two-dimensional, um, so uh, atomic level carbon called graphene, graphene basically, but from hemp yeah. as a source. Um, but yeah, that is the extent of what we're involved with. <sighs> Uh, no big deal. It's just it's just about everything. Um, congratulations on everything that you have accomplished. Um, I think and I think what's really what's really inspiring about your story is the fact that you literally started from the bottom. Like there was there was no research. There was there was there was no resources, and you guys have created this incredible platform that now provides so much awareness and education to people to learn about cannabis and now are able to either from a B2B level or B2C level access sustainably made hemp products that continue to contribute, you know, long-term access to sustainable materials and as well as empowering farmers through increased economic opportunities. So thank you for what you do. I feel like we <laughs> We've been talking for a while, and I feel like um, I feel like I'm going to have to do a follow up uh, episode with you in the near future because there's so many uh, other questions that I have, and I'm actually wondering if I should kind of like open up a form for people to ask you more questions about everything they need to know about hemp. Um, but just before we kind of wrap up, is is there anything else that you know we can look forward to seeing in the next couple of months? Like, um, you know, it sounds like there's a lot on the go, and you know, where where can we find you and learn more about what's happening? 
Oh, sweet. Okay, so um, so so we are at uh, Bohico, which is B O H E C O, so dot uh, O R G. So that's Bohico dot O R G. Um, uh, I think that if you type that name, you pretty much would get us on. Um, I, I think our Instagram handle is Bohico uh, Bohico India, uh, B O H E C O India. Um, and, and so, so across the board, we're on face Facebook, etc. As well, I think that now Instagram is probably more powerful than, than Facebook. <laughs> so I might as well. That first, um, that's where that's where we're at. Uh, going forward, uh, in fact, if all things go by plan, you will actually see the rollout of some of. And I've been literally not announced this anywhere else, and maybe this is the, this podcast will be the first place that Ooh. we're <laughs> juicy for the first time. So, however, how many of listeners that you have are probably the first people who may know this. But um, we are going to be rolling out some of our medical cannabis products um, in India. In fact, uh, the, if if all things go to plan, it be late, by best case end of August, worst case end of September. But um, yeah, we. Uh, um, we're, we're, we're very excited about that. Excited slash a bit nervous about that because that actually has tremendous responsibility that comes on, on our shoulders as, as we roll those products out because um, we are not signed to talk about sort of, you know, cannabinoids and THC and CBD and some of those kind of therapeutic benefits of all of this. Uh, uh, but but this is where we're re- really sort of going to now come um, sort of, you know, right in the, in the forefront of sort of what... Um, uh, but a lot of people sort of opinion, people are very opinionated on that piece. Uh, textiles, they, they don't really have a problem with because, you know, you can, literally cannot cause any harm. Food, et cetera, they, they, they're fine with because it's gone through its t- testing and things of that sort. But medical cannabis finally gets into some some of the more, uh, uh, I'd say, um, combative areas where, where people are very sort of strongly opinionated on, irrespective of what the science may say. Um, and so we're a bit nervous on that, but, but yeah, we're going to roll them out in the next few months. Amazing. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. Congratulations again. I feel like I've just been constantly praising you throughout this call because there's just, there's so much, there's so much goodness coming from Bohico. So thank you again for what you do. Thank you again for your time today. And um, yeah, I'm going to make sure everyone that's listening, um, all the information and getting in contact with Sanvar and the Bohico team, it's all in the show notes. So be sure to check those out and get all the links that you need. But um, thank you again, Sanvar, so much for, for joining me. Um, and uh, again, like all the best with everything that's happening. It's going to be, it sounds like it's going to be an exciting end of the year for you and probably just another huge jump into 2020 with everything that you have going on. Thank you so much. And and, and this is literally one of the best conversations I've had with people. So, well, thank you. And hearing the rest of the podcast that you come up with as well. Good luck to you for that. Thank you so much. Ha, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends!